Welcome to It Pays to Fear God. My name is Anwetterwan Nomarin, and today's subject is captioned, Jesus and His Priorities. A priority is something that takes precedence, something that is more important than other things in our lives. There are common priorities that people have in this world. Getting married, getting a job, getting educated, raising a family, and so on and so forth. Those are common priorities that the average person can attest to. But if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, the apostles and the prophets, you can see that what was most important to them was a little different. And today we are going to analyze the life of Jesus Christ and his statements, his actions, to try to see what was most important in his life so that we can really understand what we should be focusing on the most. This is especially critical in our time because we need to know how to focus on worshiping God so that we are not distracted and getting lured away by what Satan and the devil is doing. But before I dive deeper, I just want to ask you a question that you can answer in the comments section below. Now, in case you don't know already, the reason why I ask these questions is so that we can engage spiritual discussions, especially on topics that are not usually addressed very much in mainstream Christianity. And that question is, what do you think Jesus Christ meant by the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 15 and 16? Now you can answer this question in three levels. You can just tell us what he was referring to as in what specific event was to come that he was talking about. The second level is if you actually refer to the kind of event that Daniel the prophet had experienced and you kind of connect them and explain the link that they have. And of course, if you want to take it even further than that, also tell us how those two events, the one that happened close to Jesus's time and the one that happened near Daniel's time is also connected with what's going on in our time. So explain how the abomination of desolation represents certain things in this world. So if you want to take it to that level, go ahead and answer all three if you want to. And anyway, of course, don't forget to subscribe too because you don't want to miss out on any of the new subjects that we'll make in the future. Anyway, let's get into that subject, Jesus and his priorities. We're going to begin with looking at Jesus Christ's statements. That is what he said that would make us to understand what was most important in his life. For example, if you look at John chapter 4 verse 34, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Meat in this case refers to what you like work for kind of like how physically in this world we work to make a living and we use that living to feed ourselves, to nourish ourselves and so on. So Jesus Christ was saying that his version of that was to do God's will, play his role in his purpose. Because of course, you know, Jesus Christ plays a big role in God's plan for mankind due to generally the fact that he's the son of God and he paying the ransom did a lot and all that. So because of that, his main priority was focusing on the mission, saving humanity, bringing them close to God. And if you look at John chapter 5 verse 30, he said the same thing in a similar light. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. He was speaking about how doing God's will, playing his role in God's purpose, was his priority. It was the most important thing which he focused on. And of course, if you look at John chapter 6 verse 38, once again it says the same thing. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. So we can see that from what Jesus Christ said, 
doing God's will was the most important thing in his life. But we need to actually look at what he did to understand this in more detail. Let's start off with the fact that the people who were most important in his life, those he cared for the most, those he valued the most, were those who believed in his gospel. He had quite some siblings, but they didn't really believe in him. For example, in John chapter 7 from verses 1 to 5, they expressed some form of envy. And, and, and that's generally what many siblings do when they have someone who's particularly gifted. They might feel envious that, oh, look at this person, just let him get out. But... In reality, it's caused from the fact that they also don't have those gifts that that person is benefiting from. So Jesus Christ's brothers envied him for that. And that was why in Matthew chapter 12, from verses 46 to 50, when his family wanted him for to, to discuss some things, he said, who is my brother and my mother and my sister? And then he pointed to those listening to him and said, you see these people? These are my mother and my brother and my sister and so on. Those were the people he valued the most. It was those who believed in him, who believed in God, who were interested in knowing more about him. Those were the people he cared about the most. And if you also look at the women of Jerusalem who were taking care of him, if you read Luke chapter 23 from verses 55 to 57, those were also very close to Jesus Christ because they cared for his needs. They didn't have to do that. They could have went ahead and saved that money and used it for other things, but they cared about the Son of God. So they wanted to protect him because remember, Jesus Christ didn't work or have any of that stuff, which is why it said in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He didn't he couldn't take for granted what most people take for granted. And that is why, of course, the fact that those women took care of him was very significant. And as a result, they were the first people to be notified of Jesus Christ's resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, from verses 1 to 10. Before the disciples, before the Pharisees, before anybody, they got to know about it. And that was, of course, a reward because Jesus Christ's resurrection was indeed very significant. So that's generally talking about how the mission was his main priority because those who believed in it were more close to him than others. Then look at why he did the miracles. It's the same thing. He didn't do miracles so that he could wow people and just make people go bizarre. No, he did miracles so that he, they, he could advertise God's power. And I explained this in my video, the power of miracles. He did miracles so that people could understand God's power and from that supernatural act come to him and then he could begin to teach them so that they would understand God and then if God's grace goes upon them, they worship God and then they are saved and all that. So Jesus Christ used miracles to try to bring people to God. It was all a part of the mission. Then another big factor in it was teaching the gospel. He took a lot of time to teach people about who God was using all kinds of interesting ways, such as parables, even with insults in the Pharisees. Lessons still came out of that. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, Luke chapter 13, verse 22, and chapter 21, verse 37, those are places where it was recorded that Jesus Christ was teaching people educating people about God. People didn't really understand who God was, what his plan was for mankind. And as I explained in one of my previous videos, The Harp of God, in the specific subtitle, Mystery Revealed, 
That was where Jesus Christ revealed mysteries to mankind. If you read Romans chapter 16 and verses 25 and 26. And those teachings were fundamental towards people actually coming to worship God and therefore being saved. Which of course was Jesus Christ's mission. Which was his priority as I'm trying to explain with everything that I'm saying. So the teachings really contributed to the fact that Jesus Christ focused on the mission. He didn't spend his time talking about science or talking about irrelevant facts about heaven and so on. He made sure people got to understand with the time he had on earth who God was and what his plan was for mankind. Then, if you look at his humility and compassion, you can also see that he was interested in people coming to God. That was why in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 25 and 26, as he was preaching, he witnessed that the people who were listening to him were not the Pharisees, the scribes, the people who were kind of of worth. No, it was the babes, those who were kind of inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, that is, in society as a whole. And St. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from verses 26 to 29. But Jesus said in that Matthew chapter 11, in verses 25 and 26, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. He humbled himself so that he could accept people who were not of his worth, kind of, and still try to bring them to the faith. And that was why St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that though Jesus Christ was rich, yet he made himself poor so that those who were in poverty might, through Jesus Christ, become rich. It was all a part of the plan. Then, if you also look at John chapter 13, you can see Jesus Christ demonstrated humility. He himself was the master. And a master isn't supposed to be, you know, serving the servant, right? The servant is supposed to be serving the master. That's why he's called the servant in the first place. But you can see that Jesus Christ was washing the disciples' feet. He was trying to tell them that the best master is not the master who's trying to make everybody do his bidding and all that. Those who serve the most are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you read Matthew chapter 18, from verses 1 to 4, and many other places in the scriptures. It's those who serve others who are going to be valued the most in heaven. And Jesus Christ showing humility was a part of that. He was showing humility because God Almighty in heaven, who is above everyone else, if you read Psalm chapter 95, verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verses 6, 16 and 17 and so on, still shows that kind of humility. Job said in Job chapter 33 verse 27, He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and I have perverted that which was right, and it profiteth me not, he shall deliver his soul from going down into the pit, and his life shall see the light. God has the humility to, despite his big position in heaven, still go about trying to help people and bring them to himself so that they may be saved. Because that is his will. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. So Jesus Christ was trying to replicate that by also showing that kind of humility. He also showed compassion if you read that. Matthew chapter 9 from verses 35 to 38. And chapter 14 from verses 13 to 21. I'm citing these things because this was what 
was his priority. This was what he was focusing on. He was focusing on helping people. He was focusing on saving people, but getting them to understand who God is and opening a pathway for them to worship God and eventually be saved. Now, like I said, one way was through his compassion. He cared for people. He wanted to help people get out of their current condition and serve God, which is why he had compassion upon men in those two places that I have just cited. Then, obviously, these were just his virtues, of course, that he did to show us an example that we should follow. St. Peter spoke about this example in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, where he said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And St. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, from verses 1 to 12, that we also have to show that same example that Jesus Christ showed. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We have to also show that kind of example. It should be a priority to us in our lives in this world. Then, Jesus Christ didn't care too much about worldly things. That's one thing that most people care about in this world. They care about their car, their house. That's what they think about the most. But Jesus Christ, he made sure that his thoughts were directed towards God and not towards worldly things. That was why he didn't mind the fact that he didn't have a, a, a steady residence. You know, he wasn't working or anything like that. It didn't really bother him. It didn't bother him that... The Pharisees were offended by what he was saying in Matthew chapter 15 from verses 12 to 14. It didn't bother him so much that he was on one side and the whole Jewish system was on the other. You know, he because he knew that that was not godly, so he was comfortable staying on God's side of things. If we read John chapter 15 verse 19, he wanted to stay on God's side. He focused on making sure that he remained where he was. That was why when Satan the devil offered him a position that would take him away from God, he rejected it in Matthew chapter 4 from verses 1 to 11. He told Satan that, I am more interested and I prioritize focusing on God's mission. And nothing you're going to tell me here, none of this rubbish that you're trying to use to lure me away from God is going to succeed. Jesus Christ, remember, was going to rule the kingdom in fulfillment of John chapter 18 verse 36 that would defeat and destroy all those things that Satan the devil was talking about. So Jesus Christ didn't even want to waste his time taking some of those offers that Satan the devil was making. So Jesus Christ made it a priority to remain in what he was doing. And he endured all the sufferings that went with that. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, the author of Hebrews said it quite beautifully. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. That is a statement of people who believed in the fact that Jesus Christ prioritized keeping with the mission. He endured all the persecution, the sufferings, the ridiculing that people were doing so that he could remain focused and successfully go through the mission. At one time, he was getting a little intimidated by that idea of death in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 39 and 42, but he always concluded his prayers with the fact that your will, of course, will always be done and I will be glad to participate in that. And of course, he went through it all and look at him, he's in heaven now, 
fulfilled Psalm chapter 21 verse 3 that he's being crowned king over God's glorious government and he's doing all kinds of wonderful and fantastic things that Satan the devil can do nothing but to just support. So those of course were Jesus Christ's priorities. He went through the mission, he paid the ransom, and he made sure that throughout his life on earth his focus was making sure that Everything went as planned, as in, as they had planned with God Almighty in heaven, and that humanity had a chance of being saved, because that was the reason he came down to this world. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Like I said, the reason why we even bother to consider this is because setting our priorities right is fundamental towards our salvation in our time. The Bible makes us to know that the day of the Lord, or the last days, is not a time where people should be thinking about, oh, when am I going to get married? When am I going to be raising children? This and that. Those things are nice, but our priorities should be keeping and maintaining our spirituality because the last days would propose some difficulties in doing so. And that was why the Bible would describe this as an event where urgent things would be happening. So what the prophet said in Joel chapter 2 verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is nigh at hand. And Zephaniah the prophet said in Zephaniah chapter 1 from verses 14 to 18 that it was like gloominess and darkness and all kinds of bad stuff happening. The day of the Lord is like that because in our time, God is taking on what Satan the devil has done. St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 that Satan the devil is the God of this world. And God is trying to, of course, using Jesus Christ as king to just defeats that, revamp the world so that Satan the devil is no more in it. Satan the devil took over spirituality. That was why spirituality became a lot about politics. Christianity became about leaders and money and all of those kinds of customs and traditions which didn't really represent what Jesus Christ came down to do and set up in this world. Jesus Christ came down to set up a system where we would worship God, love one another, and so on. But it ended up leading in wars and conflicts and many Christian denominations. And it just didn't end up the way God wanted. And God wants to fix that. He wants to glorify his children, glorify his religion. If we read Isaiah chapter 60 and chapter 61 and many other places in the books of the prophets. He wants to do that and he's trying to take on what Satan the devil is doing. And the reason why I'm telling you any of this is that because God is doing that, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. So we have to be focusing on our spirituality. That was why when women were weeping for Jesus Christ and his death, Jesus Christ had something else to say instead of what they were expecting. If you read Luke chapter 23 from verses 27 to 29, it explains the event and what Jesus Christ said. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which bewailed and lamented him. And Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, in which they shall say, 
Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Jesus was saying that in that world, there was going to be a completely different way of living. And if you look at it, everything has changed. And because of that, being able to worship God is harder now because everybody is celebrating the death of spirituality. People are like, now there's freedom because we're not bound to having to be Christian. We can be whatever we want and no one can say anything about that. In fulfillment of Revelation chapter 11, verse 10, those two prophets, people were being tormented by them and they were celebrating that spirituality which was represented by those two prophets were now destroyed and then were making merry and all of that. Worshiping God is going to become harder because it seems as unfashionable now. People are like, no, we should move on and all that. But rather, we have to keep our eye on the ball. Make sure that we are not being carried away by what's going on in the world. We focus on our spirituality and make sure that we continuously remain holy and pure and clean before God. If we read Isaiah chapter 52 verse 11. We should do what Lot did or what Noah did in Genesis chapter 19 and chapter 6 and 7 respectively. We have to prepare for it. Even when we see other people acting as if nothing's happening, they're just marrying, they're giving birth to children, they're doing this, they're doing that, making it look like everything's normal in this world. We should remember people did that in those times and they were destroyed. If we read Luke chapter 17 from verses 20 to 30. We have to recognize that things are changing. Spirituality is not as honored as it used to be. If we want to worship God now, people will have more negative, bad things to say about it. And we shouldn't let that distract us. We focus on it. Continuously love God. Make sure our hearts are in that place. Make sure that we use the word of God to see what's happening in the world and act properly. St. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, For the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So also see Luke chapter 21, verse 36. To watch is to study the Bible, to understand the signs of the times, which is what all Christians should be doing. We should be looking into the Bible to try to see what's happening in our time. And if you watch other videos on our channel, you will also understand how that all works. And then to pray is to seek assistance from God in order to make sure that despite what Satan the devil is doing, we remain in God's fold. We continuously observe God's traditions whilst other people decide to leave that behind. We have to prioritize worshiping God and keep that to the end. The author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And that, my friends, is where I want to stop on discussing that subject, Jesus and his priorities. Have a great day and God bless you. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. 
Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.